There was a man who was driving along at about 70 miles per hour down the interstate, and along came a car on his left-hand side and cut him off, almost clipping his bumper, just in time to exit the highway. And the driver, the man driving the car who was cut off, saw the bumper sticker, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. (laughs) Indeed. That's the counterfeit claim this morning. Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. And you know, when you see a bumper sticker, you know it's part of a bigger conversation, right? It's a response to perhaps some accusation that Christians think they're perfect, but they're hypocrites. That Christians are holier than thou, or that Christians sort of present themselves as a little cut above. Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven is part of that conversation. It's a pushback on those who would accuse Christians of acting as though they're better than everyone else. That's the counterfeit claim. So we're looking at the claim and the problem and the source and the solution. The problem with this Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven, I think you can already start to see it, right? If it's part of a bigger conversation, which it is, it's defensive, isn't it? It's defensive. It's a defensive reaction in that conversation. Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven couple problems with being defensive. First of all, what happens is when, when you're defending yourself as part of a group, right? You reduce yourself to just some cultural, socio-political group. Is that what Christians are? Is that all we are? You say, well, Tim, you know, I mean, the, the, the people that are antagonistic towards truth, towards Christianity, towards Scripture, some of those people are mean. Y'all know that. I know that. Some of those people uh, say other things on their bumper stickers like this. I've, I heard of this one recently. This is brutal. So many Christians, so few lions. So many Christians... So few lions. Of course, that's a a reference to the Roman Colosseum in uh, about around AD 60, 64. The Flavian Colosseum, the the Roman Colosseum, the three kings after Nero took what Nero did in persecuting Christians up to an incredible level, the level of entertainment, putting Christians dressed up as sheep the first one being Ignatius, down in the Roman Colosseum to be consumed, to be killed by lions. You, say, you think to yourself, well, you know, golly, you know, if you think of any other group, you think of other groups that have been persecuted, you can think of them, you can name them, and, and you can find the equivalent to lions, and you think, well, what if, if any other group were, uh, were called out on a bumper sticker in that way. So many blank, so few blank. You think of that. Think of, uh, uh, for example, something like from World War II. Can you imagine? 
Anybody putting that on their bumper sticker? Of course not. Christians are, are being singled out, perhaps. But when we push back as though we're just a group, it just sounds like whining to me. It just sounds like whining to me. You see, part of being defensive in in these terms is to identify as though we're just part of of a group. And I realized that that in the civil rights movement that that, that people began to to push in terms of of groups. But Martin Luther King's, King Jr.'s, uh, one of his core principles was we're against problems, not people. We're against problems, not people. And so what, has, what, what started off as a movement that, that, that really represented the whole of humanity these days, you know, is, is pitting group against group, and we are not to participate in that in any defensive manner. doesn't matter what the group is, what the socioeconomic class is, what the issue is, what the ideology may be, what, uh, what, what the ethnicity or religious background may be. We're not to participate in defensive ways that as though we don't represent the whole of humanity in the human condition, which we do. You see, that's the group we represent, all of humanity and the human condition. We, we don't want to be defensive. That's the problem with this expression. The second problem with being defensive in this way is that if you think about it, <laughs> you think about it, When you're being defensive, what are you doing? You're trying to justify yourself. And if you're trying to justify yourself on the basis of forgiveness, are you really believing you're forgiven? I mean, if the God of the universe has forgiven you, what what need do you have from the people in traffic around you? (laughs) And so it's a counterfeit claim. Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. It's a counterfeit claim. It, it, it's too slight a view of forgiveness. Just forgiven? It's too slight a view of forgiveness. Now, where does it come from in Scripture? Well, here's a difference from the other uh, weeks of our series. I can't find it anywhere. <laughs> and if you try to look for a, the source of the idea that we're just forgiven, you're not going to find one. If you look at, at 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness? Wow. That's not just forgiven. That's not only or merely forgiven. All unrighteousness. You look at uh, Matthew 6, 14. And it says, For if we forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others your trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And you think, wow, I'm not quite sure I understand that. That's right. That's right. There's more to this forgiveness business than meets the eye. It's bigger than a bumper sticker can hold. And then if you think of Isaiah 118, though your sins 
are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Too slight a view of forgiveness when you see these images. And then the scripture that I started the worship service with, 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. Old things have passed away. New things have come. And so you wonder then if, if, if a defensive reaction is, is not uh, appropriate for the Christian. How is it that we understand forgiveness in such a way that helps us respond and not react? That's the order of the day. If we look at Romans 12, 1 and 2, what we'll see is we can begin to grow in an appreciation of what forgiveness really is. And when we understand and appreciate forgiveness for what it really is, then we can respond well to antagonists rather than reacting. Hear God's word this morning from Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, Let that sink in for a minute. I appeal to you. He's making his appeal. On what basis? On what basis? By the mercies of God. I'm appealing to you. And essentially saying, I'm appealing to you on the basis of something that you already know. That you have already experienced. The mercies of God. To present your bodies... As a living sacrifice, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's strange, isn't it? We'll get to it. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's a tall order. But what, what we're looking at is, if a defensive reaction is not helpful, if it's not appropriate, if it's not commensurate for, uh, for the Christian with a, a response that, uh, that, is, uh, that really lines up with the nobility of of our call, then how do we respond? How do we respond well to antagonists? We respond well by understanding and appreciating forgiveness in the following two ways. First of all, we have to understand that, that, that forgiveness is not small and forgiveness is not all. Forgiveness is not small. Forgiveness is not Let's take a look. Forgiveness is not small. It's not small to God. It's not small to us. First, it's not small to God. If you ever wonder, 
If you ever consider, does God really want his forgiveness for you in that place of your greatest shame or your repeated pattern? If you ever wonder if God really wants to forgive you in that place, read Isaiah 53. Read Isaiah 53. It describes the mercies of God in brutal, gruesome detail. By his stripes we are healed. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was pierced for our iniquity. And by his stripes, what are stripes? The flesh torn off of him by a whip, a cat of nine tails. Bone and glass and rock that were embedded in these leather straps that were laid upon his back and pulled. Gruesome. It's a brutal image. What would drive the God of the universe to subject himself to that? The answer is mercy. You say, well, I thought mercy was something we received. Well, not quite. Not quite. Mercy is something a little different. Mercy is compassion. Compassion. You see, you think of it this way in the story that that you should be familiar with. Most of you will be familiar with uh, the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan, he looked upon the man who was down, who was beaten, who was brutal, uh, brutally uh, uh, left for dead, and he, the same word, had compassion on him. He had mercy on him. God was moved by our human condition. Moved by it. The very thing that you question is forgivable. The very part of your life that you think there's no way that God can reach and, and forgive and, and even look upon that is the very part of your life that has moved him to compassion. That's why Paul can appeal to us when we understand what mercy really is. He can appeal to us to do something huge, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, he's saying... God wants all of you. He wants the whole of you. There's no part of you that God wants left out when you present yourself to him. When you understand that it is on the basis of his mercy that he's appealing to us, then you understand that there's more to forgiveness than meets the eye. There's something to take in and to appreciate, and that is the compassion that moved God in the very place where we doubt he would forgive us. That's the very thing that moves God the most to be equal to your need. It's not small. Forgiveness is not small. It's not small to God. The second, the second way it's not small is it's not small to us. It's not small to us. Margita Lasky was a, uh, a humanist, an antagonist of the church, a, uh, somebody who might put one of those, those, uh, those lion's bumper stickers on her car, somebody who was a, a great humanist, but a, a great novelist, satirist, 
often had Christians in the crosshairs, and yet she said this. She said, what I envy most about Christians is your forgiveness. And then she says this, I have no one to forgive me. People know. They sense, they experience, they, they can reason, they can understand the human condition. Even in lashing out at the very remedy to the human condition, we betray ourselves. We, we understand there is a problem that needs to be solved in our humanity. And one of the great skeptics of the prior generation envies the forgiveness that she doesn't quite understand. Forgiveness isn't small. It's not small to God. It's not small to us. And you can sense in her longing the, the idea that, that if she just could grasp in the mercy of God, if she could just grasp it, how different her life would be. I have no one to forgive me, she says. Forgiveness isn't small, but... Second, forgiveness is not all. In other words, when, when you think of forgiveness, it's not just something that happened once upon a time. It, it really is. Think of it this way. Picture it this way. It's a seedbed. It's a fertile, it's fertile soil. Beth and I were, were my wife and I were, were digging in, in the loam of, the, of this, uh, this bag of rich soil yesterday, planting these these plants and, and wanting that soil to, to be around those, those tender roots and, and wanting, wanting that, that good soil instead of that hard Georgia red clay to be up against those roots. You know, forgiveness is that, that rich soil, that seedbed. For what? For growth. Forgiveness isn't all. Forgiveness isn't just simply just this switch or this knowledge that you have that says God forgives. It, 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 it enables Growth, it grows relationship, it grows you, and it grows your desires. Let's finish up today by looking at those three ways that forgiveness really grows us. It grows relationship. It grows you. It grows your abilities to respond. It grows your desire. Rather than reacting, we're forgiven. On the basis of his mercy, we understand, we connect with that. We have forgiveness, which is a seedbed that allows us to grow. First, it grows relationship. It grows a relationship between us and God. And you think about it this way. If you think that there's a, somebody in your life, a friend that you, you really care about, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's, maybe it's a, a brother and a sister. Yes, stretch siblings and think about it that way. Maybe it's a really, really good friend and... And you realize that, that, that they have a certain way that they love to be treated. You know, you think of uh, Gary Chapman's five love languages. You think of, uh, you know, acts of service or physical touch or words of affirmation or gifts or quality time. Those are five ways that people love to be loved, right? And when you understand that, that we uniquely love to be 
loved in unique ways, that, that each of us has a particular go-to way that we love to be loved. I remember when I was first married, Beth and I, uh, I, used, to, uh, I used to buy her gifts, and, and, I, and I was spending a lot of money, and, I, and, and there wasn't quite the response that I thought there would be. And then, then I, I realized when I would do acts of service, there was a huge response, and I realized she has a love language, and it's acts of service. And so I started working smarter rather than harder, right? When you realize that, 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 that someone wants to be loved in a particular way, it's important to you. And there's a drive, there's a motivation there. And so you see what God has done in forgiving us is enabling us. It's a seedbed to enable us to obey him. Not because we earn anything, but because now we realize that's his love language. Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? Right? Obey my commandments. Do what I'm saying. Feed my sheep. It grows the relationship. Forgiveness enables us. Because we know that our obedience doesn't do anything to bring more of what God has already given us, forgiveness enables us to love God with no strings attached. To love God as a gift. He actually enables us to participate in building the relationship with him because when we really understand forgiveness, it's total and complete. There's nothing to be added to it. And so our obedience doesn't do anything for us, but what? Build the relationship. You see, forgiveness isn't all. Forgiveness is the seedbed in which relationship grows. Forgiveness also grows you. It grows your ability to walk in his ways. Jesus said, follow me, right? Follow me. And you think to yourself, well, that's, that's what I'm trying to do. But, but, but whenever I do, I get up and I fall down. I, I kind of walk with a limp, Tim. Yeah, we all do. We all walk with a limp. Now think of it, picture it this way. Here's another picture. Picture uh, someone who's just had a knee replacement, right? Or a hip replacement. And, and I realize that that, that, that in, in our congregation, we've had a number of people who've had these, these knee replaced, knees replaced and hips replaced. And it, just in this past year, when I go see them, real, they, before I can even get to the hospital, their doctors have them up walking. It's incredible. Why? Well, from what little I know about, what little I know about this, when you walk on that joint, it lays down bone. It, it, it brings life around that artificial joint. It begins to, to grow, it, and it's painful, and you're limping, yes, but it's bringing life. Forgiveness isn't all. You see, forgiveness is the seedbed in which relationship grows, in which God grows you. The old is gone. The new has come. There's a new life that you're living because of it. When it says... Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. What, what's being said there is that there's not a separation, that forgiveness isn't just something that, that, that happens in our heads, right? And that, that, that the physical body in our physical world and the way we might apply that forgiveness is separate and total. And, and, and you know, at the time, there was this idea called Gnosticism, and, and, and it was sort of from Plato and Socrates and, and the philosophers of the day. And, and what, what it was, the idea was, is that everything that you can, just sort of thoughts are good and the physical world is bad. 
And so if you wanted to, to perfect yourself, if you wanted to bring life to yourself, it was really all about thinking the right thoughts. But there was a complete disconnect between your thinking and your walking, your living. You're living it out. And so the physical world was considered inconsequential, and as a result, people's lives deteriorated in terms of what's best for them. But what Paul is saying is it's, you're, you're like an onion. You're, you're a bunch of different layers, and it's all important. It's all spiritual. It all matters to God. And so forgiveness enables us. It enables us, yes, to lead changed lives, the lives that you can measure, that you can see. And yes, we walk with a limp, but keep walking. Follow me, he says, even with a limp. You're laying down bone. You're laying down new life. He's enabling you to walk with him. And finally this. Forgiveness is a seedbed not only that grows relationship, that grows you and enables you to, to follow him. Forgiveness grows your desires, different desires, new desires. Here's another picture for you. Uh, I, I was, again, out in the yard messing around and, and, and realizing that there were leaves on the lawn. It's not fall. This is what I've, I've come to realize in Thomasville, Georgia. You know, you're raking all year long, right? And, and there's a wave that comes in the spring of raking those dead leaves up. And it's when the new leaves finally push through and push out the old leaves. You know, that's a beautiful picture of what God is doing in our lives. You, you, you look at your life and you see, you see those dead leaves and, and, you, and, and you wonder, is there any way to shake these off? And what Paul is saying in, 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 in Romans 12, 1 and 2, he's saying, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, when you reconnect with that seedbed of forgiveness, when you realize who you are, you're forgiven. When you realize the relationship is there, when you realize that you are enabled and empowered to walk with him, what you're doing is you're beginning to embrace a new life that you can be for, that you're not just slapping a bunch of bumper stickers to justify yourself. You're not having to live life in any kind of defensive posture whatsoever, that, that, that in Christ, you are a new creation, the old is gone, and the new is coming. The new has come, but it is coming, and it continues to come as, as he continues to transform you. Those new leaves push out, and those old leaves fly away. He's not done yet. He's not done yet. You see those leaves hanging on, but he is at work in you pushing out. We have something to be for. And so you see what's happening here, and, and, and as I bring this to a close, I, I want to tie it back to the bigger picture of, of what's going on in our culture. And you know what's going on in our culture is, is people are latching on to this cause and that cause, this group and that group. And a lot of times it is to be as though they're being for something, but when you're for the part and not the whole, you're against something too. You're against not not just problems, you're against people. And that is going on today. Why is that? Think of Margita Lasky and her need. 
People know that there's a problem with themselves. They know that there's a human condition. They know that they have a need that they cannot get to and touch. And so everyone is looking for the moral high ground. Everyone is seeking to justify themselves. And so whether it's the environment or whether it's some other ideological issue or whether it's some group, people are grouping up in order to say, we've got it and you don't. Let's not be those kind of people. We're not called to be those kinds of people. You see, in the mercy of God, Jesus stretched out his arms on the cross and he said this. He said to the last, the least, and the lost, the people who drove into his bones and flesh, the insult and the injury of nails on a cross. He said to those very people, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Our cause is humanity. Our mission is the end of the earth. We're not to be grouped up. We're not to be defensive. We're not to line up with some sort of political action group or, or to think of ourselves as beating back on those mean guys out there, that's just so much whining. We have something to be for. We have something to be for. And it's nothing less than a transformed life from the inside out. The old is gone. The new has come. And so embrace your forgiveness. Reconnect with the, by the renewing of your mind with who you are because God is creating through that experience a seedbed in which to grow relationship, in which to grow you and your abilities, and in which to grow a new desire of what we're for, even the very obedience and the will of God. John Newton put it this way. He said this, I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world, but still... I'm not what I used to be, and by the grace of God, I am what I am.